Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. We're going to be uh, looking at the book of Jude this morning, and it would be super helpful if you would get your Bibles out, because we're going to actually study this whole entire book. So how's that? We're going to cover a whole book in one morning. But don't worry, it's only one page long. The book of Jude is one of those books in the Bible that sometimes... If your pages stick, you miss it on your way to the book of Revelation, so you might not even know it's in there. But uh, I promise you, it's right there before the book of Revelation. So open up your Bibles uh, or go to your phones, and it would be very helpful if you had this uh, little book open. You know, as we just said in communion, um, the Bible challenges us, not just in that one passage in Corinthians that I just read, but in others as well, to examine yourself, to test yourself, to test yourself, to see whether you're in the faith. It's a very important aspect of your walk with Jesus, to not just take the faith for granted, and to, and to not just assume that, hey, everything's cool because I prayed a prayer 20 years ago. No, but to constantly be in a place of examination, seeking the Lord, pursuing him. And that's what we want to do this morning. I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you are going to be very uncomfortable with this message this morning. And I don't mean for that to happen. That's not my goal to make you uncomfortable. However, I do pray that... The conviction of the Spirit brings us to a place of change and a place of repentance. And if that happens, then awesome. Um, you know, at home, we have a wood stove, and we heat our, not our whole house with it. It's more of, I guess, a hobby for us than really a necessity to be truthful. It warms up a part of our house. But I love every part of the wood stove. I do. I love cutting trees down. I love cutting them up. I love splitting wood, I love stacking it, I love the exercise of it, love being outside in the cold, crisp air and splitting wood and just love the whole thing. And then I love the heat. I love sitting by the fire and just relaxing and chilling with a cup of tea and just hanging out like it feels good. Every part of the wood stove to me is just nice. But there's one thing about a fire, there's one thing about the wood stove and that's this. It has to be fed or it dies. The same is true for your salvation. You feed it and it grows. Neglect it and it dies. If your relationship with Jesus, is your relationship with Jesus dead or is it growing? This is an important question. Is your salvation real or is it dead? You know, in the Bible, there are these um, certain big concepts that stand in tension with each other, and they cause people a lot of trouble. And, you know, especially, I know back when I was in Bible college, we used to love to stay up late with coffee and, you know, argue the, the merits of predestination versus uh, the free will of man. You know, which is it? Does God choose us or do we choose him? And if you're going to be an honest Bible student, you have to say, it's both. They're both clearly taught 
in Scripture. Another important concept that stands in tension throughout the whole Bible is this concept of eternal security and losing your salvation. Can I, am I eternally secure in Christ? Yes. I can prove that from Scripture. Can I fall away from Christ? Well, if I'm going to be honest, if I'm going to study Scripture honestly, I have to say, yeah. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Eternal security is taught in Scripture. John 3.16. We all love that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That sure does sound like it lasts forever, doesn't it? How about John chapter 10, verses 7, 27 to 29? Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And then he goes on to say, no one can snatch him out of my hand. And Jesus even doubles down on it in that passage. He says, no one can snatch him out of my father's hand. Wow, that makes me feel pretty secure. Nobody, nothing can take me out of God's hand. Mm. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, seems like that lasts forever, doesn't it? How about the one more? 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Verse three, 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So, eternal security is clearly taught in the Bible. Trust in Jesus as your Savior, and you'll be His forever. That's good news. Then we have these other scriptures, which kind of seem to contradict this idea. Falling away seems to be possible. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers. Brothers. That's, that's a term for fellow Christians. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 is very scary. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. I mean, you look at the list of qualifiers there, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, goodness of the Word of God, powers of the coming age. You've been enlightened. I mean, that's seems like it's pretty clear. Like, these are, you can't just from this verse say, oh, they weren't Christians. I mean, these, these guys... Like I said, it's there. And then we have the entire letter of Jude. And I want to look at Jude this morning. Because it gives us just a, a, a sober, I think, uh, reminder that we need to keep the flame burning in 2021. As I prayed about it, I thought, boy, there's no better way to start a new year than to start it with evaluation and to dedicate ourselves and the year to God fresh and new. Let's look at the letter to Jude. I hope you've got your Bible open. We're going to start, we're going to literally read the whole thing. 
start with verses 1 and 2 here. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Stop right there. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. The word there, in this translation, they, they, they make it sound nicer, but the real word is slave. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. A slave of Jesus. Like, is it possible, can I just ask you this question? Is it possible that our experience of slavery in this country has tainted our perspective and spoiled something beautiful in our relationship with Jesus? We need to get past our own twisted perspective because Jude announced himself as a slave of Jesus, as a good thing, not as a bad thing. Slavery to Jesus is the truest form of freedom. You might want to write that down and keep it home. Slavery to Jesus is the truest form of freedom. Jude, it's interesting he would introduce himself this way. I'm a slave of Jesus, and I'm a brother of James. This is the James who wrote the book of James, and we know that this is the brother of Jesus. James was the half-brother of Jesus, which means Jude was also a half-brother of Jesus. You know, Jesus was an immaculate conception, but Joseph and Mary had other children, so they would be Jesus' half-brothers and sisters. Jude was one of his half-brothers. And I just think it's kind of cool that Jude, you know, if you think about name dropping, like if you want to drop names, wouldn't Jesus Christ be the name you might want to, hi, I'm Doug, you might have heard of me, my big brother is Jesus Christ. Like, and Jude doesn't do that. He just says, no, you know who I really am? I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And I'm James's brother. But then look at what he says also to those, I'm writing to those of you who are called, loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Called, loved, and kept. Whoa. If Jesus is your Savior this morning, would you just declare that with me? I am called, I'm loved, I'm kept. Come on, we got to declare that a little more strongly. I'm called, I'm loved, and I'm kept by Jesus. That's awesome. Okay, now we've got to keep reading the rest of Jude, or we'll never get through it. So verse 3, he says, Dear friends, I promise I'll read the rest of it straight through. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. 
And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, those he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. He said, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves, and then they flatter others for their own advantage. But, boy, after all that bad stuff, it's nice to get a butt, isn't it? But, dear friends, remember that the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold, they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts they don't have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with faith. Fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. And everybody said, Amen. With Jude. Wow. Let's walk through this. Please keep your Bibles open. We gotta, we're going to walk right through this whole book, okay? And get ready to take some notes, too. Listen, the road to heaven becomes more narrow as we get closer to the return of Christ. One of the heartbreaking things that will happen in the last days is the falling away of many of your church friends, people that you worshiped with, people that you studied with, 
people that you served with, they will surprise you by rejecting all that you believe to be true, and they will reject you as well. Jude, verse 3, he begins with the words, Dear friends, I was eager to write to you about your salvation that we share. You see how he shifts gears? I wanted to write you about this, but I really felt the need. I had to write you about this. You see how he does that in verse 3? I, I wanted to write you about our salvation that we share, but I felt that I had to write you in order to urge you to contend for the faith that was entrusted to you. Two words there, contend and entrusted. Contend. It means it's a fight. It's a fight. <laughs> you're in the fight of your life. And if you fail to see that, you're going to get beat up. It's a fight. He says, for your very life, contend for it. And then it's entrusted to you. You see this? It's the faith, the faith that you have, the salvation that you enjoy. It was entrusted to you. It's kind of like the, the, the fire in our wood stove. Jesus lit it, but you have to keep it burning. You've got to feed it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, it's now yours to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You work it out. Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. You can read the story on your own later to keep me honest, but here's the story. He tells the story of a master who left money with three of his servants to manage while he was out of town. Jesus called them talents, which is just another way to measure money. It's kind of unfortunate word because whenever we hear the word talents in our language, we think the ability to play the piano or something like that, and that's not at all what the story was about. The master in the story left his servants money. We could just say it this way. He gave a, a $100 bill to one guy. He gave three $100 bills to another guy, and he gave five $100 bills to a third guy. That's the story. And whether he gave one, three, or five, the amount didn't really matter because the master still expected a return on his investment. Two of the three servants took the money that they were given, and they doubled it, and they were praised for it. They were welcomed by the master. The third one took the money and did nothing with it. This man was called wicked and lazy and was thrown outside where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Christ, you have been entrusted with something precious. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, How shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation. How shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and you will, and I will, will you hand the master a nothing burger, a list of excuses as to why the Christian life was so hard, or will you present him with a doubling of what was entrusted to you. See, 
Jude felt the need to strongly warn his readers about people who had infiltrated into their ranks and through their example and their bad teaching, these people were discouraging the church from working out our salvation. These people were discouraging the church from contending for their faith. Just, ah, just I don't know, ride easy, I suppose. In fact, the bulk of the letter is a warning about these intruders. And I think that as you go through it, you might discover that this describes a large swath of the modern-day church. Look at verse 4. He says, certain men have secretly, they've secretly slipped in among you. And look what they do. They change, they, they pervert, my Bible says, they pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. Isn't that something? Here's God's grace, and now let's use this as a license to be immoral. God's grace is a powerful motivator. It is. Uh, truly, if you understand God's grace, it will put a fire in your soul to pursue Jesus and to pursue holiness and to live an exemplary life unlike any other. If you understand the grace of God, it will propel you, honestly, into greatness in the Christian life. That's the truth. But God's grace can also be nothing more than a love song that lulls you to sleep with warm, fuzzy feelings of being loved and held in the hands of a good, good father who just loves me no matter what I do. Beware. Beware of the Christianity that costs you nothing. Following Jesus is not a pathway to self-improvement. It's a call to self-denial. Salvation is both an event and it is a process. You made a decision years ago. That's great. But what's your decision today? This is the faith for which we must contend. Be wary of anyone who tries to let you off that hook. Jesus loves you no matter what. That's a true statement. It is. If it motivates you to holiness. But if it's an excuse for laziness and moral laxity, then you're worshiping the wrong Jesus. Now, from Jude chapter, from Jude, yeah, not chapter, it's only one chapter of the whole book. From Jude verses 5 through 11, there's some symmetry in the way that he writes. And I think it's cool. I want you to see it. And actually, some of you Bible geeks, you're going to love this. Because Jude uses three sets of three to make his point, okay? So, and I just kind of want you to see it real quick. In verses 5 through 7, we have three examples of whole groups who fell away. And then in verse 8... Jude gives three indictments on these particular people, like the, th the three things they've done wrong, these three indictments. And then verse 11, you have three more examples of not groups, but individuals who fell, individuals who missed it. Okay, so you got these three sets of three, and they all go together to make Jude's point. Let's just look at it quick. Verses 5 through 7, you've got whole groups that fell away. Um, the first one he talks about is Israel, who came out of Egypt. All of Israel, 
was saved out of Egypt. The book of Exodus tells us not a hoof was left behind. Everybody, men, women, children, dogs, cats, cows, goats, hamsters, goldfish, whatever it was they had, they all made it out. So their salvation out of Egypt was complete, it says. However, only two people out of that entire group actually made it into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb. Boy, that's a really bad attrition rate, isn't it? Only two made it. Now listen, in the Bible, the exodus of Israel coming out of Egypt is always a picture of salvation. Egypt is always a picture of your past life, your life of sin apart from Christ. The exodus is a picture of your salvation in Christ. The promised land is a picture of future glory, where God's taking you. I think you see it. The third, the third example that he gives us is fallen angels, or second example, rather, verse 6 is fallen angels. I mean, angels. These beings are in heaven. They're in the glory of God. They, they see Jesus face to face, and yet a third of them abandoned that and fell, and Jude says they are now set aside, reserved for permanent destruction. Wow. I mean, if, if they fell, you and I, I mean, we, we better pay attention here. And then verse 7, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. These twin cities of the ancient Old Testament, they were destroyed for their rampant homosexuality and their sexual perversion. And verse 7 even tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah serve as an example of those who suffer punishment, eternal punishment. Sodom and Gomorrah are gone, like God wiped them out. Gone. So this is not a, a, a slap on the wrist kind of judgment, and then now be better next time. Like this is a definitive judgment. So now these three Examples of groups, whole groups, Israel, angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, that were destroyed because they abandoned, they, they neglected the salvation that God had for them. You come to verse 8. It's an indictment on these specific people in the church. And he begins with the word. Do you see verse 8 there? In the very same way, there's a little verbal clue for you. It links what was just said. So it's a connection point. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people, they do three things. They pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and they heap abuse on celestial beings. One version says they slander celestial beings, and I, I tend to prefer the word slander rather than heap abuse. These three indictments are connected to the first three before. Do you see that? Israel was destroyed in the desert because they fell into sexual promiscuity. They polluted their bodies. The angels in heaven fell because they rebelled against God's authority. They rejected authority. And then God sent two angels to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to warn them about judgment, but instead of heeding their warnings, the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah tried to have gay sex with them. Instead, they slandered these celestial beings. You see how it's connected? 
And then verses 9 and 10 kind of expounds on what it means to slander these celestial beings. Now, here's the cool thing. Some of you Bible geeks are going to just love this. The book of Jude is great because Jude quotes from ancient Jewish documents that were popular during his time, but we don't really have access to them anymore, and they're not in the Bible. We, they're just they're, they're extra-biblical. They're Jewish documents that were very popular during the Second Temple period, and, and they weren't bad. They were just, you know, they're just not part of our Bible, and Jude quotes them, right? One such document was the book of Enoch. Jude references the book of Enoch twice in this little letter. And verses 9 and 10 is one of those references. He talks about this story about Michael the archangel arguing with the devil over the body of Moses. And, and as the story goes, Michael refused to rebuke the devil, but he said, the Lord rebuke you instead. He, he, Michael recognized the authority, the line of authority, and he respected, believe it or not, the authority that the devil had. And he, and he put the devil under the authority of Jesus. The Lord rebuke you. Now, this is not saying that you and I don't have the authority to rebuke the devil. That's a message for another day, but I think I can make a pretty strong biblical case proving that actually in Christ you do have the authority to rebuke the devil. That's, like I said, another message. Jude's not teaching about the proper way to conduct an exorcism, okay? What Jude is pointing out is that these false teachers don't know what they're talking about, and they slander whatever it is they don't understand. In the same way, some of you, perhaps, are slandering this message right now. Because it's hard, it's a hard one to wrap your mind and your heart around. And so it's easier to dismiss it than it is to dig in and try and understand it. See, the Christian life is full of difficult truths to swallow and if you dismiss them because they're hard, will you doom yourself to fall into the same error of these false teachers? You see how it's easier to slander what I don't understand than it is to actually dig in and do the work to try to understand it? See? And that's what Jude is saying these guys are doing. Instead of digging in and trying to understand the truth, they're actually, as he says in verse 8, you know, on the strength of their dreams. <laughs> you know, they're coming up with stuff out of their own heads. So, but I digress. Listen, it's easy to believe, it's easy to believe that Jesus died for your sins and now you don't have to do anything. That's the message you've heard in church over and over again and and I repent as a pastor of ever giving that impression. We have this idea that if it's hard, it's probably not coming from God. That's simply not true. The Christian life is one of the hardest things you will ever love doing. <laughs> Look at verse 11. Jude gives three more examples then of of individuals in the Bible who got destroyed. You see that? He, and they missed the goodness of God. These three examples connect to the other examples that we had for them that he gives before. So you've got the way of Cain, 
Everybody remember Cain? He's the guy that, he's the guy with his brother Abel, and they both went to worship God, and Cain worshiped God in the wrong way. And God gave Cain the opportunity to repent. He said, Cain, sin's crouching at your door. It desires to master you. You know, he warned him. And instead of heeding God's warning, instead of submitting to God and worshiping God the way that was proper, Cain murdered his own brother in cold blood. That's who this guy is. Then you got Balaam. Balaam is the guy who tried to curse the people of God for money. And when God stopped him, when his curses didn't work, you know what Balaam did? He figured out another way to bring trouble on the people of God and still collect his paycheck. Balaam. And then you've got Korah. Korah was a priest in the time of Moses who questioned Moses' authority, and he slandered Moses in Israel. And it ended up that the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and all of his belongings and his family alive. So do you see the symmetry? Now, you Bible geeks, buckle up. You're going to love this because here's a chart for you, okay? So you got three examples. So here's how these three go together. You've got three examples of fallen groups of people. You have three indictments against these individuals in the church, and you have three examples of, of fallen individuals that, that Jude gives us, and they all go together. Israel was a fallen group, and part of what Israel was guilty of was polluting their bodies with sexual sin in the desert. And Cain, as well, was given the opportunity to worship God, but look, instead, he killed his brother, if that's not a pollution of the body. See that? And then you got angels, the angels in heaven who fell from heaven. Why? Because they rejected God's authority. And then he uses Balaam as an example of someone who did not submit to God's authority. He had the opportunity to, to repent, but instead Balaam just said, you know, I'm going to get the money, the paycheck instead, and he figured out another way to go around it. And then you've got Sodom and Gomorrah, known for their perversion, not just their perversion, but you understand, they, they actually tried to take angels and do the nasty with them, right? So they slandered spiritual things. And then you've got Korah, who was an example of someone who did not recognize that God had put his hand on Moses, and he rejected it. And so all of these, these three threes kind of go together, but they make Jude's basic point. His bottom line is this. Your salvation is a precious gift that's been entrusted to you. Don't lose it. Don't, don't, don't treat your body with disrespect. Don't, don't just go off on your own thinking that somehow you know better than what the Bible knows. Don't, don't just slander difficult biblical truths because you don't understand them. Dig in and try to understand them. Do the work. That's what he's saying. And then Jude, verses 12 through 16, he doubles down on these bad guys in the church. And he says some very unkind things about them. I don't know about you, but it sort of makes me a little uncomfortable because I admit that in my Western mindset, though I don't like being politically correct, I've certainly been influenced by political correctness, and it makes me a little uncomfortable that Jude would actually call these guys these bad names. They're blemishes. <laughs> One translation says warts on your love feast. We got warts in our church. Yeah, 
They're clouds without rain. They're autumn trees. They're pretty. <laughs> They're autumn trees without leaves. They're neither pretty nor fruitful. They're wild waves of sea foam. See that, how he says that? They're wandering stars, he says. You know, stars were used for navigation because they're a fixed reference point in the sky. So a wandering star is what? Misleading. <laughs> you follow a wandering star, you're going to be lost. And Jude says, these guys are wandering stars. He says they're dangerous reefs. In other words, they're under the surface of the water, and if your boat runs into them, your boat sunk. So Jude's warning us against these people who look great, but they're selling you something. They're selling you an easy faith. They're selling you this stuff that is misleading. Verse 14, he quotes the book of Enoch again. Verse 14, you see that? He says, Enoch, it's written right there. Enoch said this, the seventh from Adam. He reminds us that there's a coming judgment, and it is definitive. Jesus does not judge in generalities. He does not beat around the bush. He tells you and me specifically, X, Y, Z, and here is the punishment. Boom. And then Jude 17 through 19 shifts the focus, and ha, ah, that's nice. After all the hard stuff, there's this but. Jude's left us a clear warning, he says, right? There's going to be people in the church who are fallen, and if we follow them, then we're also going to become fallen. He says, but remember that the apostles warned you about this. They told you that it was going to happen. That's a good thing. Do you remember? See, this warning, friend, is important to your faith and to mine. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I know that if I drive through New York City, I have a high chance that I'm going to get stuck in traffic. Why? Because I've been told that before. I've seen it. So I know. So that if it happens, I knew it was going to happen. I, I expected it. And this is what Jude is doing. He's reminding you and me, hey, look, you've been warned. You know that this is going to happen. Heads up. Keep your eyes open. Don't get sucked into it. This is what he's doing. Now you can avoid it. How do I avoid it? Well, that's verses 20 through 23. He says, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Spirit. Our friendship with Jesus is something that must be cultivated. You know Jesus is not a religion. Jesus is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. Jesus is a person. If we pursue him, we fix our eyes on him, we even take the difficult things that he said, and we dig into them, we study them, we, we try to understand, we wrestle with them. We do that, friends. Then you can rest securely. And then verses 20 and 23, not only do we have the responsibility to pursue Jesus, but we also have the responsibility to help one another pursue Jesus. You see that? Isn't that neat? He says, he says we, but we do this with fear. We do this with fear. Why? Because we know what's at stake. It's a big deal here. Remember, this precious salvation has been entrusted to us. It's who? So we, we don't just do this, treat this lightly. And then Jude ends verses 24 and 25 with this wonderful doxology. 
of God and his ability to keep you and to get you across the finish line. And I love this. So please see this. After all of what we just said, you got to hear this. Verse 1, remember, you're kept. Remember that? Called, loved, kept, kept in Christ Jesus. Verse 24, but to him who's able to what? Keep you. He keeps you. He keeps you. So you got verse 1, you're kept. Verse 24, you're kept. In between, there's a whole lot of trouble. So keep your eyes on Jesus and hang on. It's a ride. That's kind of the message. And so let's apply this and let's take it home, okay? There's a couple of quick lessons we can draw from this and then I close. The first one is this. You don't work to earn your salvation. You don't. But it does take effort to keep it. We need to build ourselves up, as verse 20 says. Verse 21, look at verse 21. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Do you see how that's your job and mine? That we keep ourselves in it. So I'm given this precious gift of salvation. It's entrusted to me. And I need to be vigilant of the threats against it. And I need to be vigilant in pursuing Christ. And then the second lesson that we can learn is this. Um, there are three kinds of people in your life. There are people you avoid. You avoid them because they're dangerous to your faith. I know that's not a popular message, but you need to know it. There are people that I avoid because they're dangerous to my faith. Then there are people that you help. They're hurt. There are hurt, doubting ones who need to be picked up and they need to be put back on the right road. And, and God puts you, God puts us together so that we can do that. So that when I fall, you lift me up. When you fall, I lift you up. And we do this together. That's, that's important. There's people that we help. So there's people that you avoid. There's people you help. But then there's people who help you. So there's people that you rely on to help get you across the finish line. See? But I need to discern the difference. And that brings me to number three. We need to know the difference between mercy for the doubter and sympathy for the devil. For the brother or sister who struggles in their walk with God, mercy. Mercy, always mercy. But for the one who calls themselves a brother and sister, yet continues in sexual sin, who continues to slander the things of God they don't understand, who continues to bring division into the body of Christ, who continues to complain when things don't go their way, these people avoid them. God's grace is not an excuse to let things slide and just do what I please. In fact, it gives me the room to pursue God and to make mistakes along the way. Praise God for that. We say thank you, Lord, for his grace, can we? Because obviously we're not doing this perfectly. But God has provided for us because he knows that we're made of dust. God has given you this great salvation. He lit the fire now we keep it. 
Like I said, I know that this is a hard message. Boy, this little letter to Jude rocks my world. I don't know about you. And it's hard to swallow. And I just want to encourage you that rather than walk out and say I did a bad job or whatever, which is fine, I probably did. But at least, please, don't just be content with that. Let this be a challenge to dig in and find the truth. I sense that that's all the Holy Spirit wanted to do today, was let's put something hard in front of us. And let that be something that drives us then into God's Word so that we can dig in and, and, tr and understand it further. And Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.